Welcome to the Church on the Rock podcast. It is our prayer that this message brings hope and encouragement into your life as you go about your week. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, it's kind of exciting that I get to do today and I get to speak today and what I get to talk about as a parent and getting to do child dedications. Um, I never really got this till I was a parent that we care about just the stupidest little things. Like, I can't tell you the amount of times that Amy goes, Josh, come here! And I think, like, our kid fell or, like, there's blood everywhere or something. I come in and it's like, he's about to roll over. I'm like, okay, can we try a different, can we try? But now that you guys have all stood with me and declared, now I get to share those little moments that none of you cared about with you because now you guys care because we're in this together, right? You guys just said, we do, I do, right? I stand. So we're raising these kids together. So I get to share these kind of little stories with you and you're excited about it, I'm sure. So uh, Nora's kind of in a fun state. Nora's my oldest daughter. She was the one standing right here, just kind of like during the child dedication, right? Okay. And uh, she's entering this fun stage of life, which is like the sentence stage, okay? And she's starting to be able to put like three to five words together, which is really great. She's starting to say like, I love you, daddy. Or she's starting to say things like dance party, mommy, like pointing. She knows what Spotify is. This is just crazy to me, right? And she's there and saying those kinds of things. But um, she's starting to also say a couple phrases that we're not so excited about. And the two that I wanted to share with you guys is uh, Amy was standing and Nora was trying to get behind her. And she comes up and she says, get out of here. Just, hey, get out of here, right, to her mother. And she's like two, okay. And so she's saying that. And this other one that I'm just really not excited about is she's starting to say, I need this, insert something, now, okay. I need this now, okay. Like kind of like uh, this goes something like this. Wake her up in the morning, get up, right, get her ready. And she's I need a banana now. I need a banana now. I'm like, okay, you know. And, we're, and the key word that we've been saying over and over to her is, okay, you have to be patient. Okay? Okay, you have to be patient. And her reaction is this gunshot-like-esque, feeling like, oh, no! I need a banana now! Right? And that's kind of funny and kind of exciting. Like it's frustrating. It ranges from frustrating to kind of cute to kind of funny on a two-year-old. But it's not so cute and not so funny when we see that same reaction on an adult person. Are you with me? Okay. <laughs> so today we're talking about patience. And we've been in this series called Mirror. Mirrors, okay? And it's all about mirroring God's character and his image and just his very being of who he is. And we've talked about so far how God is holy, God is loving, God is faithful, God is just. And last week we talked about how God is gracious. And I'm going to be referencing um, a book called In His Image, and Jen Wilkin wrote it. And she wrote a chapter about patience, and I'm going to be referencing that a lot. I love how she says this. We're going to be talking a lot today about God most patient. And that's where we're going today. And so can we just pray, and then we'll get into the word a little bit. Father, thank you, God, for the opportunity to speak today. Thank you, Father, for these people. And just, um, God, it's a special Sunday for me, Father. Um, 
just even felt it this morning when I woke up in my prayer and just in the service and the worship and in the child dedication, God, I feel like you're excited to do something today. I'm excited to walk down this journey with you, God, to find out what it is, Lord. Bless these words, God. Bless these people. Bless the scripture. I pray it comes alive and becomes real today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today, the first point I have for you guys today is that we are living in a culture of impatience. Right? We are living in a culture of impatience. It's just kind of all around us. And the weird thing is that it's actually applauded sometimes and encouraged. Because impatience gets um, disguised or wrapped as ambition or productivity or lots of outcome. Like, man, that guy just really gets a lot done. Man, that guy just gets so... And really, it's just we're people that lack self-control and just go and get and just we start doing things that we shouldn't, right? We're just impatient. We look for the quickest route to get things done. So I kind of wanted to bring everybody into this together because maybe you're sitting back and maybe you're, and you're like, yeah, I kind of got the patience things down today, okay? Maybe you're not. And so I came up with a list. I kind of copied some stuff off the internet. And I just want to read to you a few things that you may be an impatient person if this applies to you, okay? So we're going to read a couple. If it applies to you, you can just hide your face in shame or something, okay? So you may be an impatient person if you hate lines. You start fuming with anger if you pick a line that moves slower than the other lines, and you have to actively stop yourself from screaming, move, all the while just thinking of all the better things you'd be doing with your life, okay? That one applies to me. All right, you may be an impatient person if you've ever said a bad word while waiting for water to boil for pasta. Okay, you may be an impatient person if you become legitimately angry waiting for somebody to text you back, right? You text fast. It's just a couple words. How long does it take to send a text? That's why I gave you the phone. I'd say that to Amy a lot. Okay, first, number four, you may be an impatient person if slow customer service and automated responses just make you want to punch yourself in the face. You immediately quit whatever organization it is you're subscribed to if you have to do that. You may be impatient if you've called and complained to Amazon Service Center because your two-day prime shipping package came one day late. I'm also guilty of that. You may be impatient if you shake, hunt, or peel off the corner of your Christmas packages. It's just because you cannot wait till Christmas Day. I've got a couple more. I'm just going to read a few more here. Okay. You may, I'm going to read some of my favorites. You may be impatient if you intentionally set your microwave timer 15 seconds longer because you can't wait till it hits zero. Okay. You may be impatient if you loudly cough, make shuffling noises with your feet, waiting in a public bathroom, trying to get people to get out of the stall faster. I do this every Sunday. And you may be impatient if you track your progress in traffic with another car in a different lane. And if they get ahead of you, you get mad because you know you could have chose that lane, right? If you're an impatient person and you relate to any of that, say, hurry up right now. Okay, now turn to the person next to you and say, pump the brakes. Seriously, turn to the person next to you and tell them, pump the brakes. We're going to get there. I love what Wilkins says in her chapter about this. She says this. She says, the world's solution to the problem of impatience is not to develop patience, but to eliminate as many situations that require it as possible. The, problem, the world's solution to the problem of, problem of impatience is not to develop patience, but to eliminate as many situations that require it as possible. 
That, when I heard that, I thought that really rang true. There's a lot of things that I'll do and extents I'll go not to have to wait, right? There's certain times I choose to drive. There'll be certain things I choose to do, right? And then our culture applauds us, encourages us. Everything that we do, it eliminates wait time so that we can be more productive, more time efficient, right? And that comes from videos coming straight to uh, Netflix, right? Just being straight released. Um, I've uh, choosing the time you try to drive to Chicago. Um, just so many ways that we try to cut down our waiting in times of being frustrated, right? The newest iPhone, the newest iPhone came out recently, the, X, the XS, right? It just really rolls off the tongue. And the best thing about it is that it's a little bit bigger and a little bit faster from the phone that already is the fastest phone already, right? But people are going and upgrading and spending $1,000 plus $1,250 because they need the one that's just... A, like a micro, microsecond, even faster, okay? A um, couple studies that uh, Wilkin found is that the, Blo- the Boston Globe reported that uh, they did a study on how long people will wait for an internet page to load, okay? After two seconds of waiting for an internet page to load, people started jumping off ship, okay? After uh, five seconds, 25% people stop. And at 10 seconds, 50% of people are out. Studies as of 2015 show that the average attention span in the U.S. has shrank to eight seconds, meaning that we are now one full second behind the mighty and great goldfish which has a nine-second attention span, okay? We have shrank down to eight seconds. And I want you to think about this for a second and be a little empathetic. I, Sunday mornings, have eight seconds to grab the attention of your middle school students to lock them into a 45-minute sermon, okay? That's the kind of world that we're living in right now. But I can relate to that. If a song doesn't catch me in 30 seconds, I skip it. If a movie doesn't catch me in five minutes, I jump back to an office, okay? If a book doesn't grab me in the first chapter, I throw it in the recycling, okay? Like, I can relate to being an impatient person. Why should we even care about any of this? Why is it bad to struggle? Why should we even struggle with patience? And I have a couple of reasons for you. Um, but why is it really, why isn't it an issue if Route A is better than Route B and Route A uh, helps us get there faster and takes us out of situations where we have to wait? Why is that such a bad thing? Um, I have three uh, kind of points that kind of came about. I think there's a lot more, but these are kind of the three I want to highlight today. And I'm going to read them all to you right now. We're going to jump to the third one and talk about the third one and then come back and kind of go in reverse order, okay? It's kind of weird, but that's just how I wrote it this week. So, number one, why do we even struggle to be patient? One, God is patient. And that in itself is quite enough. Number two, life will at some point inevitably force you to be patient. It will force you to wait when you don't want to. And number three, the absence of patience results in some nasty stuff. The absence of patience results in some nasty, nasty stuff. And that's what I want to highlight. I want to talk a little bit right now. It's what happens when we do not seek patience. We do not try to be patient people. And what fills the void instead of being patient. So we're going to look at a pretty common scenario in Chicagoland, probably something we all deal with on a daily basis. But we're going to look at Old Testament style, okay? We're going to look at a situation of road rage. So I want you guys to go to Numbers 22. We're going to read a little, a little story about Balaam, okay? And Balaam has a, 
Uh, there's a great context there. I'm not going to tell you the context. I should have said this at the very beginning. We're going to be moving a little fast today, okay? I have a lot of different verses I'm going to hit you with. Um, pull out your phones. Go to your notes. Go to every note. Pull out that little scrap paper. What I would like you to do today is write down the verses and references as I'm going. And in your own devotional and study time this week, pull out a couple of those and explore them a little further and stuff because I'm not going to stop. There's been times where I take one sentence and we spend the whole time on that. Today's not one of those times. We're going to be kind of flying a little bit through this thought. So write those references down. Study them on your own. Spend some time in your own devotional time. So Numbers 22, and we're starting off in verse 21. The context here, uh, real quick, just give you a little bit, is that Balaam is a prophet of God. Okay, uh, an enemy king, Moabite king of the Israelites is hiring him and telling him to come. I need you to curse these Israelites. They're taking over everything. There's just way too many of them. Come to my house. Let's party. Let's hang out. Curse these people for me. Okay. So verse 21. So Balaam set out the next. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry with Balaam that Balaam was going. So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand at the road to block his way. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road and with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, he tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Verse 26. Then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place that was too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time when the donkey saw the angel, he just lay down under Balaam. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the donkey again, the animal again with his staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. We're going Narnia here, okay? Um, What have I done to you that deserves you beating me three times, it asked Balaam. You have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. But I am the same donkey you have ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. Verse 31, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. I think this um, scenario is obviously a little unique. Like probably not a lot of us have been riding donkeys that started speaking to us recently. But I think you can sub in any scenario in your life that requires patience And without patience, you can see the same results. And what I saw out of Balaam's life in this instance that gave me a little peek into how he was doing spiritually and how he's maturing is that first, he loses clear thinking, logical thinking. A lack of patience brings about logical thinking. I'm the same donkey you've ridden your whole life. Have I ever given you a circumstance of disobedience like this? Have I, have I ever acted like this to you? That just goes out the window. And I can relate to this, right? At night, my babies are pretty good at sleeping through the night. But once in a while, something's wrong. They're waking up, and my first foggy thoughts are just, why are you awake? 
Here's your pacifier. I've been patting your butt for an hour. Like you're fed, you're clothed, you're happy. What's wrong with you? Just go to sleep. And my wife's like, have you checked his diaper? I'm like, oh, no, okay. Oh, yeah, okay. You hadn't needed that. He's usually not like that. Logical thinking goes out the window. And we stop thinking about objectively, like, what's going on here? This doesn't usually happen. Traffic's not usually backed up like this. What's Oh, there's a huge, huge accident, and there's people that could lose their life. Makes me a little sad that I was so mad on the road, okay? Immediately, loss of patience is a loss of logic, logical thinking. Two, we see that um, Balaam falls into a fit of rage. I think that a loss of impatience is a step above anger. It goes to rage. The ability to just beat something because you're so angry at it. And I think that probably more of us have been there than we like to say. The times we've punched a hole through a door, the times we've slammed a door, the times we've thrown something against the wall and broke it, the times that we've punched the car roof and laid some, I don't know what, how your anger or your rage expresses itself, but I think it starts with illogical thinking and then it comes with irrational rage. And a lack of impatience brings about rage. And lastly, it brings, I think, regrettable words. How many times have we said something, Will we, if we have been thinking clearly, if we had taken 10 seconds to count before we said something, but we didn't, and we said something in the heat of a moment that takes years, months, hours to repair. How many people could share stories of something said at a family reunion that was said out of an angry, impatient moment that took a long time to repair? If I had a sword, I would kill you. To me, I just think that's crazy because he had this donkey that, from the looks of it and how it's saying, was obedient and docile and good animal. Yet a, a moment of weakness and a moment where he indulged in patience, he lost his mind, he lost control of his actions, and he lost control of his tongue. And I don't know what situation you guys sub in, what really peeves you, what really pushes your buttons, right? Okay, I don't know what that is for you, but sub that situation in, and the results are probably very similar to what Balaam was experiencing. Proverbs 16.32 says, It's better to be patient than powerful. Better to have self-control than to conquer a city. James 1.19 and 20 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. I told you we're going to jump back to one and two. And the, last, the first one was God is patient. And I think that we probably all could say, yeah, I get it. God's patient. Like we could have, if I asked you just point blank, hey, is God patient? We would all probably just say yes. But this was something that really kind of stopped me in my tracks this week and really um, made me reflect on God. Why I did step three first was because step three is pretty negative. It makes me feel pretty bad. It makes me feel like, it makes me, when I was studying for this, start thinking about all the times that I spoke irrationally. I lost logic. I punched things and hit things and had bloody knuckles. and made me think about all my failures. But one and two brings me back up. God is patient. And this is what really stopped me this week. Read with me Second Peter 3, 9 and verse 15. It says this, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. 
He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Verse 15. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with his wisdom that God gave him. God is not only patient, he's patient with me. God's not only patient, he's patient with me. That's something that just, man, really hit me this week. Especially when I started thinking about all the times that I failed at impatience. God, Adam and Eve could have messed up, and he could have just said, here's your Savior, let's start again. Or he could have said, oh, cut our losses, let's try version 2.0, right? But instead, he lets hundreds and thousands of years pass. He puts prophecy in people, and he starts building his scripture, and he sends the Savior. And thousands of years, we still are studying and living after God. All because he waited for me. He waited for you. God's patience is an expression of his love for us. That's what hit me so hard this week. God loves me enough to wait for me. God loves me enough when I was running from him to wait for me. God loves you enough that he waited for you and it is waiting for you. God's patience is an expression of his love for you. I really want you guys to grab that and walk away with that this week. Paul talks about how he is the worst sinner he knows. And Paul had a pretty uh, good track record of hunting down Christians and in his zealousness and fighting them and killing them and throwing them in prison. He had a pretty good track record to be a bad Christian, to be a bad person. I love in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 16, write it down, read it on yourself. As he says, I am the worst of sinners. God, my depth of my sin actually shows the depth of God's love over my life. I love that. Excuse me. The very depth and depravity of our sinful nature is not only an act of God's love, it's an example of what he can do in your life, your neighbors, your family, your friend, and your guys' co-workers. I am patient because God is patient. I'm not only patient because God is patient. I'm patient because God is patient with me. I can now be patient not only because God is patient, but because God loves me, but also because he can do the same thing for the people around me that are really hard to love. The people that it's just taking a lot longer than I thought it would for these guys to get it. The people that I thought, man, it's taking a really long time. I've really tried. I've really pushed myself. I've really gone out of my way to really love these people, to invite them to church, to invite them to a small group, to be kind to them. They always still give me the stink eye. They always still be mean. They always throw really loud parties right next to my house when I'm trying to put the kids down for bed. Whatever it is for you. God is patient. His patience is love. And I can be patient for them. Because he waited for me, and he's waiting for them. Man, I hope that fills you guys like it filled me this week. 
I hope that you can stop and just wait a second and just kind of blur out my words even and just start reflecting and start thinking about, man, my depravity, my lowest moments actually showed how much God cares for me. At my weakest, at my worst, and even now, post, uh, post becoming a Christian, post living this life, post trying, and when I still mess up, when I still say something very mean to my wife, when I still react poorly to my children, when I still flick the guy off while I'm driving down the road, whatever it is for you, God still is waiting for you in sanctification. He's waiting for you. He's working with you. And it doesn't take, we don't just become not an alcoholic. We don't just become not addicted to porn. We don't just become perfect in the flash of a second when we become a Christian. But God's patience is a God's expression of love and he's waiting and he's biding his time because he knows what you are. I was talking to somebody this last week and they were talking about, man, it's really hard because I see myself, I just don't feel like I measure up to God. Post-salvation, God takes a different lens, right? He starts looking at us through Jesus Christ. And he knows how you're going to finish. As long as we're here in this body, we're going to struggle. As long as we're here in the flesh, we're, the flesh is going to wage against our soul, right? It's going to wage against the spirit. It's a war. And we get that. And we're, we're down in the fossils and we're working this out. And some days are better than others. And I get that. And I'm there with you guys. But I love that God stops looking at our just our day-to-day and our seconds. And he says, man, I know how you're going to finish It's going to be perfect, and you're going to be with me in heaven, and pain and suffering and all these things that are just distracting you and keeping you down right now are gone. I know how you're going to finish, because he's looking at us through the lens of his son, Jesus Christ, who came and bore our sins and took them for us so that we wouldn't have to be down and out. And all I ask is that we get up and we try again. His patience isn't just a one-time thing. It doesn't happen just the first time, and after you get saved, you're on a delicate probationary period. It's again and again and again and again. It says his mercies are new with every morning, right? That means his mercies are new for me every morning and new, new for you every morning too. I hope this fires you up and encourages you as much as it encourages me this week. I needed to know this week that God is patient, not only just patient, but patient with me. And this brings us to our last point. Patient people are trusting people, guys. Uh, Somebody can come. Catherine, you can come on the keys if you want to. God patiently waited for us so we can patiently wait on him. Life will force you to be patient. You can choose what time you want to go to Chicago You can choose which family members you're around for extended periods of time. You can choose the people. You say, you know, I know this person drives me nuts, so if I just spend an hour with them at this holiday, I'll be okay. You can choose all that. But at some point in your life, you will experience something that's outside of your control and is going to force you to wait. A sickness, a death, a catastrophe, a world catastrophe, a job situation. Something will come along that's going to force you out of the plans that we make. Are there any planners in this room? How many people have a 10-year plan? Just raise your hand. One in the back. Cool. Okay. Any people? How about a five-year plan? Okay. Justin, I thought you were going to be a 20-year plan. That's okay. Oh, is it anybody planning out how many people are just working until the end of the week? Like, we just, I just got to make it day by day by day. That's okay. All right. I'm with you in that crowd, okay? Where is that going? 
When things don't work out how we planned, this is what James 1, and you guys probably guessed I was going here. James 1 says this, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. I'm reading KJV. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Why? Do we rejoice in tribulations? Why do we rejoice when things don't go our way? Why do we rejoice when things are taking longer than we need them to or expect them to or wish they would? We take, because patience builds our faith in God. Patience requires that you trust that God can handle it because things aren't going the way you thought they would. Last week, we had, two weeks ago, we had our family fall fest, okay? And all week long, it was like 50, no wind, it was beautiful. And then the day that it happened, Saturday, right, 30-mile winds, okay? It, it started blizzarding, okay? It was like cold, and I was like, we have 120 people coming, and I'm just stressing out, we're going to have to move it inside. And the rest of my team was just relaxed. It was kind of an indication of, man, what am I trusting in? All my other eight people on my team right now are just like, it's going to be great. The kids are going to have a great time. I'm like, this is going to be stupid. I'm gonna, I would hate to come to this event. This is lame. I said eight-foot bonfire. There's no bonfire. Like, I was just stressing out because the situation forced me to not go as I wanted it to go. And it revealed to me, am I trusting that I can make this event good? Or am I trusting that God can take this and do what he wants with it? And it was a great time. But you know what? That's a really small, easy one. What's a hard one is when it's a personal and it's long. Patience builds endurance through faith and trust. Patience is taking the step and saying, I believe that God has got this. I believe that he can see the end and he knows what it looks like. I believe that even if it doesn't work out how I want it to work out, I believe that God is going to have his will and finish it. I believe that God is good. I believe God will finish what he says. I believe even if this doesn't work out how everything in me says it should work out, It's taking longer than it really, really should. I need to pay the mortgage now. I need a job right now. I need to not be sick right now. It's saying, God, I'm patient people or trusting people. And I believe, Father, that you will still accomplish your will. I want to read to you guys... um, a quote by Eugene Peterson. He's a personal hero of mine. He's one of just those old pastors that didn't care about much else except the few people in his church. And he wrote things for his church, and people just saw the depth and wisdom of it, and it just exploded. He's the author of the Message Bible. Regardless how you feel about the Message Bible, um, he wrote it just for a few, a small group, and then it became the whole Bible. And I want to share a few words with you from his book. This is a long obedience. And it says this, Any work done faithfully and well is difficult. It is no harder for me to do my job well than any other person, and no less. There are no easy tasks in the Christian way. There are only tasks that can be done faithfully or erratically, with joy or with resentment. 
And there is no room for any of us, pastors, grocers, accountants, engineers, word processors, gardeners, physicians, teamsters, to speak in tones of self-pity or terrible burdens of our work. What is hazardous in my life is my work as a Christian. Every day I put faith on the line. I have never seen God. In a world where nearly everything can be weighed, explained, quantified, subjected to psychological analysis and scientific control, I persist in making the center of my life a God whom no eye has seen, no ear has heard, whose will no one can probe. That's a risk. Every day I put hope on the line. I don't know one thing about the future. I don't know what the next hour will hold. There may be sickness, accident, personal or world catastrophe. Before this day is over, I may have to deal with death, pain, loss, and rejection. I don't know what the future holds for me, for those I love, for my nation, for this world. Still, despite my ignorance and surrounded by tiny optimists, cowardly pessimists, I say that God will accomplish his will. I will cheerfully persist in living in the hope that nothing will separate me from Christ's love. Just a few last thoughts, and we're going to be coming to our ending altar time. There's something very special about the waiting period that I can't explain right now. It's probably another sermon. But there's something special in the waiting period where God starts building something in us. In the waiting period, it's when our hearts become closer and closer, more consecrated. In our waiting, God has opportunity to do things we didn't think possible. The very last verse that we read in Numbers said this, Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. The donkey saw it, but Balaam didn't see it. Why didn't he see it? I think that God was testing him. I think God was saying, what are you worth? Where are you putting your trust? Where are you putting this? And sometimes God puts us in situations where we cannot see the end because he wants to see how we're going to respond. And when we respond in patience, patient people are trusting people. Hoping in God is never disappointing. Trusting God is never a gamble. But it is hard to do. It will always feel like it in the second. It will always feel like it in the moment. Always feel like, man, I would much rather just react this way or do this thing or make me feel better in the moment than trusting that God is going to finish what he said he will finish. I think kind of back 10 years ago, and I say this example all the time in my youth group to my kids. I say, 10 years ago, think about the issues you were dealing with 10 years ago. At the time, those issues were life-altering, Right? For my kids, that was like going and picking their own clothes for the first time or like going into like middle school for the first time or high school for the first time. Those kind of, those monumental things. What happened in your life 10 years ago that was a life-altering, brought you to your knees and seemed catastrophic moments? The 10 years in the rearview mirror, it seems much easier compared to what you're, what you're up against today. Yet when I think about my life, God was faithful 10 years ago in a problem that seemed life-altering but was small now. I believe he'll be faithful right now in the moment, in the time where everything seems so hard. Quickly recap, we live in a culture of impatience. To quote Eugene Peterson again, he says this, It is Christ, not culture, that defines our lives. There are many reasons to practice patience, but ultimately God is patient. His patience is an expression of love. And we can love how God loves. 
And lastly, when God doesn't move when we want him to, expect him to, or need him to, rest in Psalms 37, 7. Be still in the presence of the Lord and patiently wait for him to act. Can we stand? We're going to come into a time of worship and time of reflection. Um, I'd like to read this last verse. We're going to go to Romans 15, starting with verse 4, going through verse 6. I'm going to read this over you guys. And can you guys just grab this as your prayer today? Grab this as your place of reflection right now as we move into worship. It says this, Such things were written in the Scriptures long ago to teach us, and the Scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we patiently wait for God's promises to be filled. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you to live in complete harmony with each other as, as it is fitting for followers of Jesus Christ. Then, all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For more information and to stay up to date with what's happening in the life of Church on the Rock, please visit us on the web at cotrag.org. Thanks again for tuning in.